Would you open God's precious holy word to Numbers chapter 6? Staying along with this study in Numbers, it's uh, fairly structured, of course. It's the preparation of the people, the organization of the people, to finally get them on their march to the promised land. So we've seen all of these things already that have happened. And beginning really in last chapter, through Moses, the Lord has directed the people regarding the importance of sanctification and separation from the world. Now this, this moves really kind of from a from a nation's standpoint or a national standpoint to an individual standpoint in the first part of Numbers chapter 6. We'll look at it and I'll make a few comments <clears throat> along the way as we consider first of all in this part of the book of Numbers the instructions regarding the Nazarite Vow. Certain people in the Bible, after this instruction, some decades and centuries on into the uh, Bible, made Nazarite vows. Uh, the Apostle Paul, of all people, was one of them. Um, when he shaved his head and did all the thing, and then he made his vow so that after that he would not cut his hair, uh, so forth. But uh, I suppose the most popular one would be Samson. And the vow for him was declared from heaven to his mother before he was ever born. So for Samson, there were two unique things about his Nazarite vow or the Nazarite vow that, it was in, that was imposed upon him. Number one, as we're going to learn here, the Nazarite vow was really a voluntary thing. And number two, it was of no particular length. Generally, there was a space of time and probably not that long that people would separate themselves to this Nazarite vow and then it would come to an end. Well, those two things weren't the case with regard to Samson. So he is, his case is a little uh, unique and to itself. But with that caveat, let's, let's go on then and look with regard <clears throat> to the Nazarite vow. Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, speak to the sons of Israel and you shall say to them, a man or a woman who sets himself apart by making the Nazarite vow to abstain for the sake of Yahweh. Notice it's voluntary. It's not imposed here as it was given. It can be a man or a woman who would separate himself or herself to the Nazarite vow. The, the importance of separation regarding the people of God is a heavy doctrine, teaching in both Testaments. 
God's people are to be unique. In the case of Israel, in the Old Testament, God imposed upon them these rules. And, and uh, it doesn't just, I mean, we've seen back in Leviticus before, this is what we've seen in Numbers. They uh, couldn't eat certain food. They had to dress a certain way. And, and uh, if, if their clothing uh, developed problems, you know, it could be leprosy or their houses were to be cleaned and uh, they were to be sure that leprosy in a house didn't develop, uh, keep their, themselves clean. Uh, so there was, there was quite a bit of teaching in Leviticus about how the people of God are to be separate from the rest of the world. With regard to the dietary rules, we read in Leviticus, to paraphrase, how Yahweh said, you, my people, are not like the rest of the nations. You're different. And what I'm telling you that you're to follow is going to show them that you're different. You are not of the world. You are my people and you are special. So God's people in both Testaments are seen to be separated to God with their lives. It's just as true to us in a New Testament sense, not in the legal law sense of Leviticus, but in a technical sense because of the Holy Spirit, because of regeneration to be born again uh, for the Christian. We're sanctified, we're separated, and our sanctification is something that is an ongoing process as long as we live. I'm what I would call a veteran Christian. I've been around a while in church. And I grew up in church and I've, I've been in church. And then I've served churches as a pastor. And one thing I can note in my life is that Things that were a part of my life or things that I pursued in life have become less important. That list of things that are important to me, that list is a lot shorter than it was many years ago. It's the process of sanctification. It's not that I was out here doing all kind of bad stuff. It's just that a hunk of my life was involved with something that the Lord convinced me over time just wasn't that important as, as a Christian, as a servant of the Lord. So life for a believer is a pro in the New Testament sense, is a process of sanctification. We go through life and more and more we see things in life that are just not that important. And thus we find that through prayer and, and Bible reading and, and the recognition of things in life that just aren't that important, we separate ourselves from those things or the Holy Spirit does and thus we find ourselves even more deeply devoted to the Lord. And 
we, we replace those things in life, those activities, whatever, with a deeper understanding of the Lord, a, a, a walk with the Lord, a, a prayer time, increased prayer, increased Bible study, maybe increased service to the Lord. Our salvation is not works-based, but works for the Lord are built into our call to be saved. It naturally comes out because Christ in us works these things through us. Uh, and that's why he gets the crowns back when the time comes. It was Christ in us that does all of these things. Now, in an Old Testament sense, an Israelite may feel the need to do something special or something unique or something in a dedicatory sense to Yahweh. There's not a list given. I don't know what it is. It's an extremely personal thing. And in the pronouns that are used, these, these are singular pronouns. So it's a, it's a very personal thing between the Old Testament believer and Yahweh, the true and living God. So it can be a man or a woman voluntarily setting himself or herself apart, making a Nazarite vow, not seer. The, the root of that word means separation or to separate. Vow to abstain for the sake of Yahweh. So there are things that he abstains from or he, she abstains from in life that voluntarily expresses to Yahweh the willingness to be separated from certain things in life that otherwise wouldn't matter that much. But it also, in time, though it's not something someone would go around and brag about, hey, I'm a Nazarite for the next two months. I'm a Nazarite for this week or whatever. But it would also come out and it would be seen by others that this person has separated himself in a special way to serving Yahweh. Abstain, abstain from new wine and aged wine. He should not drink even vinegar made from new wine or aged wine, nor shall he drink anything in which grapes have been steeped. And he shall eat neither fresh grapes nor dried ones. Now these are, these are individual pleasures that uh, would be part of communal life, part of societal life in that culture back in that day. But in no way is this separated believer given over to serving himself or, or self-pleasure or, or bliss, I, have, I, drink, I drink Diet Coke all the time. I don't drink water. I drink Diet Coke. If you pierced my veins, I would not bleed. I would fizz. <laughs> so my doctor just humiliated me. The doctor I used to have, he just humiliated me. 
He said, Owens, you are morbidly obese. Well, I sounded terrible. I looked that up. That's about the highest level of obesity. And I said, well, what are you going to do about it? <laughs> he said, well, right up upstairs, there's a, a doctor uh, that specializes in weight loss. I want to set you up. I said, okay, that's fine. Set me up with her. So she interviews me and asks me everything that I do. What, tell me from the, day, from the time you get up to the time you go to bed. What do you do? What do you eat? What do you consume? What kind of exercise you get? What do you do? Well, I begin to go through a day, a normal average day. And I told her, I said, I have to start with a Diet Coke. I continue with a Diet Coke and end the day with a Diet Coke. And she said, that's what's keeping your weight on you. Obviously, I haven't stopped. <laughs> I didn't believe her. I said, I don't care. This is zero calories. It's on the can. Zero calories. Calories is what puts weight. She said, no, no, no. It has bubbles and stuff, and it reacts to your body. And does these things to you. So she suggested a substitute for Diet Cokes. And it was okay. She, well, first she gave me a pill. She prescribed a medicine <laughs> that made a Diet Coke taste like puke. I mean, it was horrible. <laughs> and this really depressed me. I couldn't live with this. And I told her, I said, I can't handle this. I've got to have a duck. I don't want those pills. I don't take them anymore. What was that drink called that I got? Marley likes them. Sparkling something or other. Had no calories. It had a you get black cherry and mango, mango, and all this other stuff. So I said, she said, you can get it at Publix or whatever. I said, okay, I'll try that. And I thought I liked it. I liked it pretty good, but it just didn't have the same kick, right? There's bubbles and then there's bubbles. So when she told me to start drinking these things, she said, there was a study done about how carbonated beverages affect people. And people crave what is called bliss. I said, that's the word. <laughs> you take that drink of that Diet Coke and it's a world full of bliss. Bliss. Now here's the deal. If you take a Nazarite vow, you have to surrender personal bliss. In this case, new wine, aged wine, uh, vinegar made from wine, can't eat steeped grapes and can't eat fresh grapes nor dried ones. And I can tell you this because of all that that I just told you. I understand what these people went through. 
making a Nazarite vow. It was to separate himself from something so that he could cling more closely to and serve in a greater way Yahweh. Man, if I gave up Diet Cokes, what kind of preacher would I be, right? With that kind of a vow. So this is why they're told then to abstain from these particular things. It, it takes away this personal joy. That's, it's not a sin, but it's proof that a person wants to be as dedicated to Yahweh, as close to Yahweh, willing to give up things, kick things out of the way. And it continues. For the entire duration of his abstinence, he shall not eat any product of the grapevine from seeds to skins. There's, there's no rule on how long the Nazarite vow has to be. A month, a week, it doesn't say. The only one that is mentioned in the Bible that has a length to it, it actually has none at all, is the Nazarite vow that Yahweh imposed upon Samson via his mother before he was born. And then he broke it. He, he, he broke his vow. But it was supposed to be a, a lifelong thing. All the days of his vow, doesn't say how many days, all the days of his vow of abstinence, no razor, shall pass over his head. This is why Paul shaved his head before he took the Nazarite vow. Paul was so interested in making inroads to the Jews so that he could preach the gospel to them, he went as far as to do this thing. Shaving his head, then he could let it, you know, just keep growing for a while and it wouldn't look that bad, I guess. No razor shall pass over his head until the completion of the term that he abstains for the sake of Yahweh. It shall be sacred and he shall allow the growth of the hair of his head to grow wild. <laughs> All the days that he, I think I see people from time to time who must be under a Nazarite vow. <laughs> what you need to do is to go up to some lady in Yahweh, uh, in Yahweh, in Walmart and say, I know, don't tell me. You've made a Nazarite vow to Yahweh. <laughs> See how long you're left standing up. It shall be sacred and he shall allow the growth of the hair of his head <laughs> to grow wild. All the days that he abstains for Yahweh, he shall not come into contact with the dead. To his father, to his mother, to his brother, his sister, he shall not defile himself if they die, for the crown of his God is upon his head. For the entire duration of his abstinence, he is holy. He is separated to Yahweh. Very, very strict and important aspect of life to voluntarily separate yourself in a special way to worshiping or serving Yahweh in some special and extremely personal way. If someone in his presence dies unexpectedly or suddenly and causes the Nazarite head to become defiled, he shall shave off the hair of his head on the day of his purification. On the seventh day, he shall shave it off. 
So even if something, even if you touch something that has, say, say somebody you're walking around with just dies on the spot and he falls over on you and you touch the dead body, well, you got a process you have to go through. On the eighth day, he shall bring two turtle doves, two young pigeons to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. And the priest shall prepare one for a sin offering. He committed a sin that was unintentional. If it was intentional, it would be a trespass offering. And one for a burnt offering. And a tone on his, the burnt offering is to make an offering of dedication. On his behalf for sinning by coming into contact with the dead. And he shall sanctify his head on that day. He shall consecrate to Yahweh the period of his abstinence and bring a lamb in its first year as a guilt offering. The previous days shall be canceled because his separation has been defiled. Okay. Before the Lord, you have separated yourself for a month to Yahweh. And three weeks and two days into that separation, you accidentally touch a dead thing. You got to start all over. You just lost credit for, for everything that went before. That's what it says here. Uh, his separation, is, all of that's canceled because, of, because his separation has been defiled. This is how Yahweh, how importantly Yahweh views the personal vow of sanctification, of separation of, uh, of the Nazarite, the Nazarite vow. This is the law of the Nazarite. On the day his period of separation is completed, he shall present himself at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He shall bring his offering to Yahweh, one unblemished lamb in its first year as a burnt offering, one unblemished ewe lamb in its first year as a sin offering, and one unblemished ram as a peace offering. He still has to recognize himself as a sinner. He didn't stop becoming a sinner because he made a Nazarite vow. He made a Nazarite vow to separate himself from certain activities in life so that he could dedicate that time and that energy to serving Yahweh in whatever way he had dedicated himself to serving Yahweh. But that doesn't mean that he was free from sin or anything else during that time. So he brings these, he's instructed to bring these offerings and thus he acknowledges this didn't make me perfect. This did not perfect me. This was just a voluntary work that I did for worship and service to Yahweh on a very personal basis. Verse 15, and a basket of unleavened cakes, loaves of fine flour mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil with their meal offerings and their libations. So now the meal offerings that are brought, these are fellowship offerings. They are thank, thank offerings, thanksgiving offerings, and fellowship offerings so that other people could come and enjoy the fellowship. And it's a, it's a time where a person declares the, the successful trek through life of whatever period of time as a Nazarite and then happily declares the end of it and sort of rejoins society. 
because he had more or less or she had more or less been separated from society for whatever period of time. So these offerings are part of worship and are part of reentry into into fellowship and regular cultural activity. The priest shall present it before Yahweh and perform the service of his sin offering and his burnt offering. And he shall make the ram as a peace offering to Yahweh along with the basket of unleavened cakes. And the priest shall perform the service of its meal offering with its libation. The Nazarite shall shave the head of his separation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He shall take the hair of the head of his separation and place it upon the fire which is under the peace offering. Now, this is the hair. The implication here is that he would have shaved his head when he started and that the hair that's on his head at this point in time would be the hair that had grown during his period of separation. So he's going to shave that off because all that's over now. He's, he's declaring an end to it. And then there's a ritual that has to be performed with it as he puts it on the fire under the peace offering. The priest shall, shall then take the cooked foreleg of the ram, one uh, unleavened loaf from the basket and one unleavened wafer, place them in the hands of the Nazarite after he is sh- shaving off his Nazarite head. The priest shall wave them as a waving before Yahweh. It is consecrated to the priest along the breast of the waving and the thigh of the uplifting. And after this, the Nazarite may drink wine. After this, this is the law of a Nazarite who makes a vow. His offering to Yahweh for his separation is in addition to what is within his means. So he gives the kind of offering that he can afford. According to the vow that he vows, so shall he do in addition to the law of his separation. So this is in the greater context of the importance of the separation of God's people. In this chapter, it's down to, a, it's down to an individual basis where an individual has the latitude to make this voluntary Nazarite vow before Yahweh. So he's told what he does, what he can't do, how to enter into the vow, what happens if something accidentally causes him to be defiled, and then at the end of the period, how to exit the vow. All of these things are given. So when you read about how he has to give these offerings and so forth, this is, this is worship. This is worship, acknowledging a relationship with Yahweh, And in the case of the meal offering, acknowledging a relationship with friends and family and even the priest because the priest gets some of this stuff in these last offerings that are made. And they have this this fellowship. It'll be a time of joy. And then at that point, as it says here, he can begin to drink wine again because the designated time of his separation is over. Now this chapter ends with the Aaronic Blessing. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons. Note, Aaron and his sons. This is how you, in the the Hebrew, you is in the plural. So that would be inclusive of Aaron and his sons. This is how you shall bless the sons of Israel saying to them. And here's the, this is um, indicative of how Yahweh 
extends his blessing to his people. How does he bless his people? So it begins in uh, verse 24. It, it actually starts, well, it, 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 the, the, the phrase doesn't say may Yahweh, it just says Yahweh. But because it's understood that this is not, not a command to Yahweh, the correct way to translate would be put the word may. May Yahweh bless you and watch over you. So the, the word here for watch over, let's see verse 24. Uh, the word there for watch over is like the word that we see in the Greek in the New Testament, which means to keep or guard, to watch over, to keep you, to guard you. Now here's what it says. Yahweh does this. Yahweh assumes the responsibility in his blessing his people to protect them, to guard them, to watch over them, to keep them. He is a keeping God. May Yahweh cause his countenance to shine upon you and favor you or be gracious to you. Favor, grace, same thing in the Hebrew. So here is a blessing of grace. That he would be gracious means that he looks graciously upon, upon his, his uh, worshiper, his child, the one with whom he has entered into a relationship in this case, an Israelite. Now, the you in verses 24 and following is not plural, so it's not for the nation, it's for an individual. The, the, the pronoun you here in this part from 24 on is in the, it's, it's a singular, not a plural. Aaron and his sons, that you is plural. The rest of them are singular. So this is a thing that Yahweh establishes with individuals, with people, just individual people being very, very personal with his people. He'll, he'll give you grace. He will favor you with grace, be gracious to you. And in being gracious to you, his face will turn to you. It's, it's, it's a turn, a look of love. May Yahweh raise his countenance toward you and grant you peace. May he nod in favor I guess is one way you could say it maybe. And grant you peace. This is, this is what people, there's the word there. Shal, shalim, shalim. This is, this is something that God's people desperately need and, and and uh, long for peace between our great God and ourselves on an individual basis between me and my great God because he's gracious to me. Finally, they shall bestow my name upon the sons of Israel so that I will bless them. This, the name of Yahweh, this is what separates Israel from everybody else. The true and living God, the God of Israel. And the story of God's protection and deliverance of Israel is developed and carries on all the way through the Old Testament. 
until the purpose of God for the Old Testament era uh, is completed. And then, of course, Christ comes in the form of a man in the New Testament. So that's the after the Nazarite vow. And this, is, this comes from Yahweh. You see, this is from Yahweh to his people. It never goes the other way. It's, it's never demanding that these things, this blessing from Yahweh just comes out of the goodness and graciousness of his heart to his people. And those are the ways in this particular blessing that he guarantees his blessing to his people individually, individually. Okay, we'll stop there and we'll have our prayer time. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we love you. We thank you for your grace. How, how you've pr provided for us, looked after us, watched over us, guarded us. How you have assumed the responsibility of being our God and calling us to yourself. Thank you, Lord, for what we've learned here today. In Jesus' name, amen.